0: I think people make uneducated decisions on certain things, and so you may know that they chose someone over price, and so you know that that's not going
1: to work out, so you're staying with them over the long run. Welcome to Conversations with Connors, a NetworkWise podcast, and I'm your host, Adam Connors. NetworkWise trains and educates individuals and organizations in the science and art of networking to accelerate sales, personal development, and career opportunities. In conversations with Connors, I talk with a variety of highly successful individuals in order to gain insights on how they built, maintain, and cultivated their relationships in order to live a life by design, not by default. If you're in sales or in a role that offers a lot of interaction with other people, then you'll especially like this conversation with Fred Jacobs. Heck, everyone loves Fred. He's charming, genuine, cultured, and just funny. As the chief revenue officer for a global financial services firm, he's had to build world-class relationships with some of the leading hedge funds, other third-party providers, and asset managers globally. In this conversation, we get a bird's eye view into what he has done to make himself successful, specifically as it relates to sales. He gets very granular in terms of what it takes to be good, how he's built extraordinary sales teams, and his self-proclaimed two-bucket philosophy on how he goes about his hiring. We delve into the importance of mentors and who's impacted Fred's career, as well as how paramount relationships have contributed to Fred's climb to the top. He launches a few good quotes, too, but one in particular that stands out to me is, "...an amateur practices to get things right." but of professional practices to never do them wrong. If this speaks to you, then I can assure you that the rest of our conversation will pique your interest. So kick back and enjoy my conversation with my friend, Fred Jacobs. Oh, Fred, thank you for being here. You're a great guy. You've uh, the top of your game as a person, as a professional, and I appreciate you being here today and sharing how you got to the top and some of the things that you have done along the way. So thank uh, you. Yeah, I appreciate that. For any of the people that don't know who you are, do you mind just giving a quick synopsis? No, fine. Fred Jacobs, I'm the chief
0: revenue officer for Apex Fund Services. We're owned by a large private equity firm called Genstar. We're a global firm, operations and Far corners of the world, from Dubai, Australia, Malta, United States, servicing the back office and reporting needs of money managers. Essentially, is what we do. I grew up in San Diego, went to college in Lewis and Clark and college in Portland, Oregon, UCLA MBA. But I've also had the good fortune of living all around the world, having worked in financial services almost the entire career. What brought you into financial services? That's a great question. There were opportunities. I think. Originally, I just wanted to live overseas. And so I joked that I would have been an international trash collector if there, were, <laughs> if there were such a thing. So I had the opportunity to interview with an international bank and potentially go to London or Dubai or somewhere. And so I jumped at that opportunity. And so I was able to work in London and Hong Kong with that firm. Were you always in sales? Well, I kept trying to get out of sales, like, what's it, the Italian movie where they pull you back in? Yeah. So I worked in operations a little bit, but I think that I was always pulled into sales because people saw, and that's what I wanted to be able to work with others. Mm. And it's competitive too. So I like winning. I like having a scoreboard. I
1: like achieving. And I think in sales, that gives you that opportunity. At what point did the light go on that said, this is, I'm home? in terms of sales and or relationships? Well, too. I
0: think sales is also... So I always wanted to be in sales. I wanted to be in international. And there's a couple of things that helped me decide what a career. I, I was in international private banking, which I always wanted to be in. I thought that was like the pinnacle. If you could be an international private banker, how could something be better? And we had a reunion of all of the people that used to be in, in my company. And there was a huge amount of people. So I thought, I went to my boss and said, how is it there's so many people at the reunion? And then we have a small department. She goes, well, that the department used to be that big. And so that was one of the light bulbs that went off. You have to be in a growing industry. Then something else happened. I brought in the third largest account and nobody seemed to care. And so I asked, well, why doesn't anybody care? I just brought in the third largest account in the entire company. He says, well, we don't make a margin off that particular piece of business. We don't make money on that. Even though it's a lot of revenue, we don't make a lot of money. That was another light bulb. So I decided I had to be in a career that was A, growing, and B, that there were margins. And so that's why I got out of international banking and looked more in the – at that time, it was the mutual fund space. And so mutual funds were growing. There was a lot of competition. So a good salesperson could make a difference, et cetera. What do you think
1: has made you such a good salesperson?
0: So we talked a little bit earlier about this, about trust. I don't consider myself better than anyone from the receptionist to the CEO. I'm no better nor am I any worse than any of those people. So I think it's people trust me because I'm genuinely trying to do the best for people and I'm always trying to help their process no matter what it may be. Even if I'm not able to bring in their business, how can I help that person? How can I help that company? because it'll benefit everybody. So a win-win, I guess. So I'm looking for ways immediately to find a win for that person. I'm also looking for a way immediately to connect with the person. So as simple as going when I meet them looking at their office, well, what do they have on their walls? What do they want to talk about? Their LinkedIn. There's a lot of research you can do so that you can, how can you relate to that person? And the more broad you are as a person, do you do sports? Are you into a hobby? Are you into politics? Whatever you know, so that your broad based person also helps you relate to, to more people. And so I think, so it's trust, but it's also,
1: I think I'm able to relate to people. Yeah. Have you always been relatable? Is it something, it's skill that you've had to learn? And if you had, I'm sure there's some level of learning, even if it is innate. And if so, what do you do to better yourself? Well, I think you have to genuinely care about others and so you have to like you're
0: reading them and because you want to know there has to be a curiosity as well and so i've i guess naturally been someone that wants to stay very active i'm meeting lots of people from different places and i speak a couple different languages and i try to learn a bunch of others and those kinds of things just to be able to relate what languages do you speak well i speak spanish fluently and then I can get by in Cantonese. I can get by in Danish, believe it or not, because I lived in these places. So I lived in Hong Kong. So do you have a, a natural ear, or this is? Something I think that- I have a good ear for languages. Yeah. Now, some, I can't remember what I had for
1: breakfast in the morning, but, but I can. <laughs> I can remember. Do you think you'll be back to any of these other countries, or is uh, now you're United oh, States? Oh, absolutely. Yeah.
0: And I, I think another thing is one thing is that, uh, Americans. Ha- people say that we're not necessarily the greatest in working globally. But I think those things that I just spoke about have helped me be good in Hong Kong or Denmark or where else. Being honest again, being relatable, caring about others, being observant are all things that, and not thinking that you know the answers before you walk into a meeting.
1: How are you able to transcend though amongst different cultures? Like I can't remember if it's China or Indonesia, like you've got two totally different you know by being for example like leaving food on your plate in china is like it's, right it's, it's and offensive and at the same time if well you- then you have to study like the
0: business cards in a lot of asia you know an american may get a business card and pick it up and clean their teeth with it and it's an <laughs> extension of themselves or the feet pointing and and all of these other things and i think that that people will give you a break because they think that you don't know but if you go in thinking that you're giving an air that you're better because you're an American or something, then they're not going to forgive you for any of those things. Yeah.
1: So the humility then it does carry. Correct. Yeah. Great. Correct. So so you've hired a significant amount of people throughout Correct. your career. How many people would you say? Probably hired. And or managed also.
0: What well, you- I probably hired North of 200 salespeople in my career. Well wow. And so what do I look for in salespeople? All of that has evolved. I think that I have what I call a two bucket philosophy and knowing you, When you were in recruiting, we talked about this, that I like to hire senior people that can been there, done that, that can hit the ground running. And then I like to hire junior people that can work up. And if I'm going to make my mistakes, I want to make it on that junior level. So I want to hire people that have the ability to learn. And I kind of look if there's 10 things that you're looking for. The top three or four may be sales skills, contacts, product knowledge, fire in the belly. These are some of the things that you have to have, but a junior person may have two of those things. Fire in the belly cannot be replicated. You've got to have fire. If you don't have fire in the belly, that's not going to work. I also find that's the hardest to interview for because salespeople were particularly good at talking about ourselves. That's the one skill we all have. So if there are four things, a senior person, are there 10 things? I want them to have eight Of those 10 things. If they're junior, maybe three or four of those things. And your rock stars of the future are going to be usually those junior people that you're able to bring up. And the people I'm most proud of are people that I've hired out of like an operations role or or something and, and help them become good salespeople. What
1: are the things that you try
0: to impart on them? Okay. That's a good question, but I would say relationship building. I would say the training that I do is I think you should be prepared for situations. I'm not saying every situation, but we all know like 90% of the time you're going to ask these five questions. So why don't you prepare those five questions? Practice. They say that an amateur practices to get things right. A professional practices to never get them wrong. Why don't you just practice? And there's a mirror, there's friends or whatever. Someone says, why should I pick you? Don't be making up that answer. Nail that answer. Questions, especially hard probing questions, they're giving you a great opportunity to answer their concerns. Like if you want those questions, training them how to answer questions. Feel, felt, found. I know how you feel. Others have felt that way. When they researched it, this is what they found. So there are tricks, but nothing is going to supplant practice
1: i got a quote for you while you're talking quotes. okay I'm sorry right. to interrupt, okay, good. But I, you you had a good one so i, just, oh, sure, I, I feel sure. like sure. i owed you a good well, one. well i stole back. mine yeah, but I, well, yeah. I, I stole mine too <laughs> everything you know it's uh, vince lombardi used to say poor preparation leads to piss poor performance <laughs> oh that's right yeah. there you go <laughs> so i'm sorry i keep going the, you're there the,
0: there you go <laughs> no it's
1: true so preparation
0: you only have one chance to make a first impression how you present yourself is very important. And then how you follow up. It's unbelievable. I want to talk a lot about that, by the way. So, yeah. It's unbelievable. It's really unbelievable. (laughs) You know, I don't know what to say. Did I say unbelievable enough times? But just when you interview someone, did they say thank you, you know? Did they say thank you once? So sometimes I actually will interview people and on purpose, if I have time, not respond and just see what happens. Because they're selling themselves. Their resume, there's their marketing material. They're, they're selling themselves. And so how are they going to sell themselves to you? It's part of the interview process. I'm not, I may not be not contacting you because I'm actually wanting to learn more about you. That's a great idea, by the way. I've never heard anybody say that. Yeah, I do that. Yeah. I do that. And I've hired people on the sole fact that I thought their interview was not very good, but their follow-up was amazing. And I can think of one person who's been quite successful. On their perseverance? Correct. This guy doesn't give up. So all of that, maybe it's not the greatest product knowledge. Maybe he was junior, so he didn't hit a lot of those other things I talked about. But his follow-up and his fire in the belly was fantastic.
1: I have a really good friend that used to be the head of credit for one of the top three or four banks in the world. And that was a thing that he wasn't necessarily follow-up, but it was part of the follow-up that he evaluated people on their grit, on their determination to him, that determination, even though he's Ivy league educated guy and extremely bright. And he's got all the acronyms after his name, but it's all to him about that determination, the fortitude, the grit. Absolutely. But that's hard to interview. It's hard to interview because it's easy to show for
0: a short period of time.
1: Yeah. What are things in terms of following up and thank yous and things like that? that people do, or maybe even things that you've done along the way. Well, there's some old school
0: things you could write someone a letter and also follow up. It doesn't mean that you have to have a meeting with the person, but are you crossing that person's desk? If you cared enough to know a bit about that person, you see an article, send it to them. Hey, saw your name here or there. There are ways to stay on people's radar. Yeah, And then also to know who they know and you can network with people. So your network and LinkedIn is amazing. I have 5,000 some odd LinkedIn names, and I use that all the time. So if I'm going to Amsterdam for next week. So I'm on there looking, okay, who do I know in Amsterdam? Who's one removed from Amsterdam? I started connecting with all of those people. And I've got meetings where previously that would have been very hard for me to
1: do. And so I use LinkedIn a lot. Do you use any other type of CRM, like a Salesforce or anything customized? Salesforce. Yeah, absolutely. I'd say my number one is
0: I'm a commercial for LinkedIn. Great tool. But I actually thought when I first heard it, I thought it was LinkedIn. And so I was like, when someone goes LinkedIn, I'm like, oh yeah, that makes a lot more sense. (laughs) So, um,
1: but yes, so it's been a great tool for me. Yeah. What are your thoughts on when people reach out to you and they don't customize the invite? Do you have an opinion? I just a cold email or whatever? But not cold, but just so like, for example, I set my – I purposely put in my signature um, Adam R. So I can tell when someone is just blatantly not taking even a second. They've just saw my profile and – Oh, that's clever. So I, it's it's a pet peeve of mine. It shows someone didn't take a second to even customize to say why yeah. they're reaching out. And I don't know if you no, have – so, No,
0: so I get a lot of things with people don't really – completely understand what we do. They mm-hmm. see asset management firm. They They certainly manage money. Most of the cold things I get are, are completely off base. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When you reach out to somebody, what do you do? I always try to take, I've said the word cold, but I try to always make it warm. And so I'm always utilizing, and it's the advantage of knowing a lot of people is that I pretty much am one removed from most everybody I need to know. If so- I can get a warm introduction. But someone just starting in the industry would be more difficult. And so I think mentors, the more that you can collect, the more that you can have people think that you're on their team as well, so that you're helping them in their process, the more that they're going to help you in your process when you need it. So some of the best salespeople I know are in regular contact with people. They've got a normal person may have five, six, seven people that are looking out for them. This guy probably has 30, 40 people that who think that he's one of their top three or four best friends, not making it sound bad. The guy's just a great, he keeps a lot of balls in the air. Let's uh, just say.
1: How does he do it? What are things that, does he use a CRM? Is he just calls a, people. Yeah. He's on the phone. He's personal so contact. In person, not just necessarily. No, there's yeah. not a
0: lot of email contact with him. He spends a lot of time on the phone calling people up.
1: Is, is that something that you encourage with your oh, staff or another? Oh, absolutely.
0: Yeah. I had a salesperson once that lost a deal. And I said, well, why did you lose it? And he goes, well, pricing. It's always, you win a deal because of good sales skills. You lose it because of pricing of course. Yeah. And what was his reaction when you gave him the pricing? He's like, oh, I, I don't know. Well, why? Because why well, I sent him by email. And then he told me, no. I said, well, had you ever met him? He goes, no, no, I never met him. I said, was he in Charlotte, North Carolina? Was it like too far away? He goes, no, he was on the lower East side. I'm just, so this person learned a lot. It was a teaching moment. This guy's now a good salesperson, but I think everything has to be personal. When you're asking for the business, saying that this is personal to me, not to Apex or to whatever, but this is personal to me. I'm going to give you the best service, etc., cetera, goes a long way as
1: well. I have to assume that there are probably deals that you have closed that probably started 10, possibly 20 years ago, maybe with one organization That never came to fruition, but but, but here they are. Yeah, can you walk me through or give me an example of some of those? I
0: think people make
1: uneducated decisions on certain things. And so
0: you may know that they chose someone over price. And so you know that that's not going to work out. So you're staying with them over the long run. I have a several billion dollar fund that that I've been working on closing probably for 15 years. And we're about to win that business of three different firms. But it's just staying in touch, helping
1: them, inviting them to events. and You're, so good. you're so good at that. Talk to me about that. How do you get people to go to your events versus some of the other events that they're invited to all the time? I think as well in our industry, which is maybe different
0: from a lot of other industries, that there's different players. So if you're going to start a hedge fund, mm. there's probably five. To, you need a lawyer, you need an auditor, you need a broker. So we're all after the same clients, but we're not competing with each other. So in some ways, when I have a lead, it's currency. So I'm giving something they're giving back. But everything you could do to help someone's process. And so they're not just coming because I invited them. They're becoming because they know that there are going to be other people there that they want to meet. And And so that I'm inviting the right people.
1: You do. I mean, I've been in an event and I mean, just everybody, the positive energy around and everybody's so open and everybody, the massive love that everybody has for you. (laughs) But thank you very much. Thank you very much. Can you call my mother? (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Thank you. Well, it's true. I mean, it really is true. And, And the type of sales that you've been in, it's not an easy sale. Like you said, it's extremely competitive. Everybody's hovering around the same piece of meat. Well, I think that as I was just thinking here about like the turnover, you, in, in right, your you introduced me as like someone leader in the field. And
0: so I was thinking, well, what makes me think that I would be a leader? And I think it's not just the skills that I have or have learned, but it's hiring the right people and building the right team and leveraging yourself. And so that, and that's the thing, there's good salespeople, but as far as people that can take something and build it, build a, a team and make them successful. So I have great pride that a lot of people I hire now run sales divisions around the industry. And so how does that happen? So how do you take an opportunity and maximize an opportunity? I think that is a difficult skill. So someone can sell a product that is a hot product that is flying off the shelves or whatever, but very few can take something that there isn't a market there for your products yet. And the products may be great, but it hasn't found its market. So how do you do that? And that's where I've actually had the most enjoyment, building those things.
1: What are the most difficult or challenging facets of what you do?
0: So let me try to think about that. Difficult, well, there's a lot of competition. So we probably have 300 competitors in what we do. So there's each one of them thinks that they have their Superman skill, their one thing that sets them apart. So what they'll try to do is convince that firm that their strength is what that firm needs. So I think that the challenging thing is to take an audience that might need to be educated, you know, because they're getting information that might not be correct and helping them to make a correct decision. How important is listening in what?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, of
0: course. There's the analogy that you're given two ears and one mouth and you should use them in relation. So listening is very important. So I may have made this one up. I always say that the good salesperson is the one who can listen and make others talk. It's not the one who can talk and make others
1: listen. I haven't heard that before. I, might be, I think I made it up. <laughs> I think I made it up.
0: And listening as well. Talking, another thing that we we're very big on is agendas. So you go into a meeting and an agenda, but agenda gives you a great chance to listen. So an agenda gives you the opportunity to send someone ahead of time saying, this is what I think you want to talk about. Can you correct? And maybe you give times and say, look, you've got 10 minutes on data recovery. That's the biggest issue for us. I think you should spend half an hour on that. So then you've listened to them, what they need. So you're going to bring your head of data recovery, which you were just going to handle it yourself maybe. So you can listen, but I think you can also provide that framework For someone to tell you what they want. So it's kind of a
1: help me help you. So you're giving them the opportunity to help you. I think that's great. One of the things that really became a game changer for me was I would ask people when I got into meetings is what was the best possible outcome of today's meeting? And that then if we knew what the end goal was, it's either that's a good one. If we can't do it, we can't do it. And you know, Hey, appreciate it. Happy to help in any other way that I can, but I can't help you achieve that. But if we can, then the time's focused on achieving that goal in any way, shape, or form that we could. And that really significantly made a difference in the outcomes that I had. I really like that. Absolutely. It's another listening tool. You
0: basically said, look, I want to listen. Tell yeah. me what it is I need to know.
1: Yeah. That's exactly it. What do you think that most people are where most people are dropping the ball when it comes to just relationship development in general? Oh, I think we covered on it. I think it's follow-up.
0: It's follow-up. It's not really asking the right questions. It's not, I think we've covered a lot of that listening, knowing what people's motivations are, selling the wrong things to the wrong people, not talking to the decision makers. What are your
1: thoughts on introverts as salespeople? Have you ever hired them before?
0: Yeah. So I, I actually do have thoughts there because I've seen introverts be extremely successful. And I think the thing is, is that I talked about Superman skills a little earlier So I might be someone that can work a crowd or motivate people or whatever, but someone else may be that they're going to sell on their technical skills and talk to this guy because he really knows what he's doing. And maybe that person doesn't bring in 100 deals a year, but maybe he brings in three deals a year or she brings in three deals a year, but they're large. And I think you have to have a Superman skill Mm. though you can't just be an introvert. You would need to develop your other senses. And something has to resonate with a prospect and you have to be able to get in front of prospects. But I would say that a lot of the people that are the great extroverts are not necessarily the great salespeople. You have to be able to close too. And so are you someone that someone will say, oh, that person knows everybody. Well, that's not necessarily a compliment. They may know everybody, but do people like them? Do people want to do business with them? Do people walk away when they walk up? So knowing everybody is certainly not it's like what do you do with the skills that you have you might know a very small amount of people but you might
1: know the right people. So there was a guy that I worked with one of the first jobs that I had and he actually it was in a sales organization and we were just on the phones all the time and he would close some of the bigger deals and he worked like an animal but when the day was over or even during lunch or anything he wouldn't talk to anybody. He was a hardcore introvert but he was so precise. He did so much research. Yeah, ahead, right. So he was so prepared. That was kind of his alone time when he charged up and he was excellent. I mean, he was one of the, still to this day, one of the better salespeople that I've come across. And That's great. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was really. You
0: um, can throw a lot of hooks in the water, but if there's no fish there, and so a good researcher may throw very few hooks in the water, but there's a lot of fish in the pond that he's fishing at.
1: Yeah. He did all the homework. And to a point that you said before, I love the saying that if someone likes you, they'll meet you. If they know you, they'll meet you. If they like you, they'll do business or buy from you. So yeah, to, right. your, to your point about you don't have to know the world. But again, and also I think one of the first things that you mentioned you and about yourself is that the trust that you've built, trust is transferable. It really is. So you've traveled all over the world. You've met people all over the world as well. How do you stay in touch with them? Well, I message on
0: LinkedIn. The advantage of being in New York is that people eventually come through New York, you know, and so it's letting them know that you're here and that you want to see them, that kind of thing. Yeah.
1: Do you still keep a place in Pennsylvania? I do. You do. Do you get out there? That's where oh, I'm, yeah. I'm assuming where you're taking the bird pictures. That that's
0: right. Yeah. yeah, no, that's my main residence.
1: Yeah, it is. So how are you splitting your time? Here in New York Monday to Friday and Pennsylvania the weekends. So is Pennsylvania kind of your time to be an introvert and get away? No, no, not necessarily. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, my wife would not agree to that no. situation. <laughs> so if I was to ask you the question, introvert, extrovert, or centrovert? Oh, I would be an extrovert.
0: Yeah. yeah. And what about your wife? Well, she's highly successful, has a ton of energy, but no, she would be more of an introvert.
1: Really? That's That's interesting. What are things that you think more people should be doing? Actually, you know what? Let me rewind that. You talked about mentorship, and that's something that you and I have had conversations throughout the years about, and I think that it's just so important, especially nowadays for people going to the larger companies where these companies aren't investing like they used to in training programs and things of that nature. So it's a lot more up to the individual to identify a mentor or something that's pretty hot these days is called a board of mentors. I don't know if you've heard of that or not, or or if you have an opinion, but it's essentially don't put all your eggs in one basket, get a couple of different mentors. I'd love to get your thoughts on just having a mentor, the process, and what people should do with mentors. So the reason I say that because the mentor relationship is not just one way, it really should be two ways. So Yeah. So I just threw a lot at you.
0: I guess my very first thought was you might have someone you consider a mentor and they don't know it. I think they'd be complimented if you said, listen, I consider you a great mentor and I really appreciate everything you've done. I think that would go a long way. Letting them know that they're a mentor. And so someone would say, oh, Fred, I've learned a lot from you. I'm like, really? That's great. Again, (laughs) can you call my mom? So that would be something I would do. And I would be, you're absolutely right. I'd be collecting mentors.
1: Yeah how do you recommend people go about ascertaining a mentor? You'd be surprised at how many people really don't know. So something that might be common for you is not necessarily Well, I think
0: oftentimes we don't know where we're going with our career. So if you were one of those lucky few, I guess, you would try to see someone who's there where you want to be. I would think that as well, you would look at people who have the skills that you think are valuable is it the analytic skills you value or the, the relationship building skills or that kind of thing? And then and someone who's got the motivation to help you, I would think. And people might be more receptive. Like I am curious now if I went to friends in the industry that are serious and say, how many people are like mentees, your official mentees? I bet they, they would have extremely few people. Because no one has said to them, said, look, you're my mentor. I, I really think about that. Now, I've got a few, but not a ton.
1: Did you have one?
0: Oh, I have a bunch. Yeah. Did I go tell them that they were my mentor? Probably not, no. When
1: you say you have a bunch, like so still to this oh, day- yeah. What, really? I'd say Joel
0: Press, Ernst & Young. There would have been one of the big ones in the industry. Steve Wynn, the- CEO of PFPC when I was there. So most of them are people that have been successful that, but somehow seem to be able to manage it all. So that's something that I like to see.
1: So you still have them today. Tell me about some of those relationships. How did they come to be? What is it that you're getting from those relationships now? And then getting back to what I asked you earlier, what is it that you give to them? I think most of them were the leaders in the industry
0: when I got there. Maybe people don't know them. They're not Joel ran Ernst & Young. He's not running Ernst & Young right now, but there's still people with brilliant ideas and brilliant advice and will tell you when they think you're totally wrong. And I think that a good mentor likes to be asked advice. So there's really very little I can give. He's very successful, has tons of business and that kind of thing. But I think showing respect would be something, asking their advice
1: what's interesting is a lot of people that i have had the pleasure of sitting down with and having a similar conversation in terms of the mentor mentee relationship have commented on the importance of just the feeling good getting that follow up just like what we talked about earlier a thank you <laughs> you know you'd be yeah, surprised right. but the other things that they learn you'd be surprised if depending on the generational gap is like technological things you know whether it's using a different medium to communicate again you don't take for granted things that you might Certainly, think you're that right. are common sense that just aren't so anytime you have an opportunity to interact with someone that's diverse meaning that's in a different sphere than you are whether it's a cultural sphere whether it's a industry or whatever that might be you have a different perspective. So you do bring that to the table. That's great. Yeah. I bet you've probably given a lot of jewels along the way that you just weren't, uh, weren't yeah. cognizant of. I hope so. Yeah. I, hope so. <laughs> I don't want to know that we're running late. I don't want to maximize too much of your time. Anything you'd like to ask me, how's this venture going and how did you come up with this idea? <laughs> so, so I would also say that someone will say that
0: someone I've been told I was an entrepreneur and I'm not, I have not, Risk at all to start my own company. I could be entrepreneurial, come up with ideas, how to build businesses, et cetera. But I think that the real heroes are those that start companies. Well, oh, we'll see. Time will tell. Yeah, with right. Me. No,
1: I, I do agree with you just to some degree. In other ways, though, I do feel the greatest risks in life are those you don't take, so I'd like to think the cream rises to the top. Getting back, we'll see what happens, you know. But yeah. they're like we were talking about earlier. Just you know, we have a lot of ideas, and it's a matter of vetting them and seeing. Well, what's I out wish there. y'all luck. Yeah, we're but, all here to help you. Thank you, thank okay, you, thank okay, you. Sure. <laughs> but I'll tell you something that was really interesting. Back to the recruiting days, is that I would always ask really top performers if there's anything that they would do differently, and unanimously, everybody would, say, everyone said, I would network. I would have built my network nurtured my network it really came down to yeah. how important that was and that no one taught them no one really taught them how to build relationships the right way you know again if they had mentors they learn tips or tricks sure. but they really i got to see that just real winners that did make it to the top that a significantly low portion of what they were doing on a day-to-day basis was technical and it really came down to more of the softer skills And the relationships that they developed, which is what took their careers and their lives to the next level. All said. Yeah. So that's kind of the quick and dirty. But I know we're really short on time. Anything else that you'd like to cover? No, I'm good. But
0: thank you very much.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Fred, you're awesome. The utmost respect for you personally, professionally. You just keep kicking ass and taking names. (laughs) Let's hope so. And I I love it. So thank you so much for coming on, and you make it a great day. Okay. Thank you. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to Conversations with Connors, a Network Wise podcast. If you or someone you know is looking for a career change, building a business, seeking to expand sales, or is just generally interested in improving your overall health and happiness, then head on over to networkwise.com to gain access to a plethora of resources to help you build your networking skills and community. Those who are ambitious will network, the ones who succeed will network wise.